The power of the written word, its ability to inspire creativity and imagination, has always threatened those in positions of authority. The first emperor of China, Qin Shi Huang, was infamous for destroying Confucian texts that he felt were dangerous. The Spanish conquistadors burned countless works of Aztec writing during their brutal colonization of Mexico. And Adolf Hitler oversaw the destruction of over 25,000 books that were supposedly anti-German in the midst of his rise to power. These efforts to censor writing were always attempts by the government, whichever government that might be at the time, to control the masses by restricting the information that they can consume. Using morality, religion, or politics as an excuse, destroying books, and erasing their ideas from the public conscience has been a typical tactic of fear-mongers, dictators, and all of those who fear knowledge. Unfortunately, book banning and censorship are not unique to countries outside of the United States. America has its own small-minded and occasionally darkly funny history of banning books. Welcome to Shaking America, a history podcast. Sources for this episode include the American Library Association, Public Case Files, and the PBS documentary The Fiery History of Banned Books. Historically, in the United States, the most commonly given reason for a book to be banned has been obscenity. Generally speaking, what this means is that the book in question contains depictions of sex, violence, or drug use. However, the actual legal definition of obscenity, and as a result which books get banned, has been at the center of the censorship debate in the U.S. since at least the 1850s. 1852 saw the publication of Uncle Tom's Cabin, one of the first widely banned books in the United States. This novel was banned across the South following its publication due to its anti-slavery themes. To quote one Georgia state senator, a man named Alfred Iverson, it had a pro-abolitionist agenda. What a scary concept, Alfred. Some historians even claim that Uncle Tom's Cabin helped push America toward the Civil War by adding fuel to the heated national debate surrounding slavery. Ten years after the end of the Civil War, a post office inspector named Anthony Comstock persuaded the U.S. Congress to enact its first attempt at widespread censorship. Under Comstock's law, the mailing of pornographic materials was made a federal crime. However, the law's definition of pornographic materials was incredibly vague. Under Comstock's law, works such as the Canterbury Tales, Shakespeare, and even human anatomy textbooks were considered to be pornographic. This greatly restricted what books libraries had legal access to. The U.S. continued to ban the mailing of any books Congress deemed to be obscene for the next 50 years. Due to the law's murky wording, this was a wide variety of works including, at different times, The Great Gatsby, the works of Hemingway, anything by Oscar Wilde, The Sound and the Fury by William Faulkner, and even 1001 Arabian Nights. Obviously, none of these books are pornographic. The post office even created a new position for Comstock, in which he was allowed to carry a gun and arrest those suspected of shipping pornography. Which, to reiterate, could literally be a copy of 1001 Arabian Nights. Great times for free speech. These restrictions on literature were more or less accepted until the 1920s, when changes in social norms and shifts in U.S. politics reignited the debate over whether an American should have the right to read whatever they wanted to read. 
This came to a head in 1933 in the court case The United States versus one book called Ulysses. Ulysses is an epic novel set in Ireland with a plot that mirrors that of Homer's Odyssey. It is widely considered to be a classic, and some literary critics have even called it the greatest novel ever written in English. Despite all of this, under Comstock's law, the book was considered obscene due to descriptions of sex and criticisms of the Catholic Church. In summation, the United States attorney stated that the book was a threat to, quote, long-held and dearly cherished moral, religious, and political beliefs. In other words, it upset people in power. The exact same justification was used during the historical examples I gave at the start of the episode. Whether it is Nazis in Germany or conquistadors in Mexico, books are always targeted for their ability to bring thoughts to the surface that challenge the existing status quo. The book's publisher, Random House, hired attorney Morris Ernst to defend Ulysses. Ernst argued that the work was a classic of literature protected by the First Amendment. He stated that the book was not written with pornographic intent, and was instead using a stream-of-consciousness writing technique to allow the reader into the minds of the characters. The court agreed with the defendant, and Ulysses was allowed into the United States, setting a precedent that focused on the merit and importance of the work rather than the so-called obscene content. Nevertheless, Comstock's law remained in effect until 1957, when the case Roth v. the United States was brought to the Supreme Court. The plaintiff was Samuel Roth, a bookseller convicted of mailing magazines that were considered obscene. Already sounds familiar. While Roth would lose the case and be sent to prison until 1961, the case would end up altering the law's definition of what could be banned for being obscene by changing the law to only limiting works that were utterly without redeeming social importance, that's a quote, the decision would open the door for works of fiction and nonfiction containing sex, violence, and drug use, which is a huge amount of literature. In the following decades, the Supreme Court would field several challenges to their ruling, but they would stand firm in their decision. American book purchases rose dramatically in the 1960s and 70s alongside a drop in book bans. This coincided with a general rise of more explicit art worldwide. Rock and roll had become the dominant musical genre and was filled with references to sex and drug use, while artists like Andy Warhol frequently used graphic imagery to challenge existing high art culture. But history is full of cycles, and the 1980s heralded a return to American social conservatism. New cultural battles over the contents of books erupted across the country and created the environment for modern book bans in the United States. Due to the Supreme Court siding with the artists, people who were unhappy with specific books began to challenge school boards and libraries instead of bringing their so-called problem to the law. In the 80s, challenges to books that were considered inappropriate spiked, with some school boards facing 800 challenges a year. As with the previous attempts at censorship, the majority of these books were not pornographic in nature and did not contain descriptions of excessive violence or drug use. Instead, they were books that started uncomfortable conversations. The Catcher in the Rye and To Kill a Mockingbird are the two most quoted examples. For anyone who wasn't forced to read these books as a child, The Catcher in the Rye includes scenes of underage drinking, while To Kill a Mockingbird contains numerous racial slurs and a dark depiction of the segregated South. And in response to this grassroots movement towards censorship, the American Library Association started Banned Books Week, an annual event that celebrates free speech. During Banned Books Week, libraries and bookstores proudly display books that have been banned or challenged in the past. They specifically try to include classics like 1984 and Pride and Prejudice. The idea is to get readers to understand that the books being banned aren't always obscure, incredibly explicit titles. Instead, they are often popular pieces of literature 
that are incredibly educational. While the federal courts do not see many banned book cases today, challenges to books and free speech are still a commonplace occurrence at the state and local level. In 2009 alone, there were over 500 attempts to get the Harry Potter series banned from local libraries, which means that in 2009, there were at least 500 people who were actively concerned about witchcraft. And recently, in 2021, there have been attempts to remove several Dr. Seuss titles from circulation. Clearly, there is still work to be done protecting free speech in America. Schools and libraries still constantly face angry parents who want to limit their children's and other people's children's ability to read both classic and contemporary books. Reading opens the mind to new ideas and broadens one's perspective of the world. There will always be people that do not like the curiosity that books inspire. There will always be fights over controlling free speech. It is up to us to fight back. Thanks for listening to Shaking America.